Today's episode of the Sidious Mag Podcast on the Sidious Mag Podcast Network is brought to you by our newest show in the family. I'll let the newest host introduce it himself. I'm Jesse Squire, writer for Sidious Mag and a contributor for Track and Field News, and now the host of Track and Field History, a podcast from the Sidious Mag Podcast Network. This show will go back and explore some of the best athletes, races, and more from the world's greatest sport. That's Track and Field History with Jesse Squire. It is available to stream and download now on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, and Spotify. So check it out today. Today's episode of the City of Smack podcast sounds like it may have been recorded in another world because of the strange circumstances that we're all living in now. But I felt like it would still be fun to share this conversation that I recorded about 100 years ago at the U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials. All right, it might not have been 100 years, but it was a month ago, and it feels like forever. This was a live panel with Matt McDonald, Alyssa Bloomquist, Ann Mazur, and Darrell Hardy about how they all managed to qualify for the U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials while balancing 9-5 to five jobs and, in some cases, schoolwork. Like many of us, they might be working from home during the COVID-19 pandemic and all these restrictions that have been put in place for us. Hopefully, we'll all be able to return back to our regular lives soon, and maybe this episode gives you a little bit of inspiration into the importance of balancing uh, work, life, and running to make big goals happen. Stick around after the panel to hear how each of these runners performed at the trials. Thanks for coming out to all the speaker series that Atlanta Track Club has put together. Uh, my name is Chris Chavez. I am a writer at Sports Illustrated. Uh, I'm also the host of the City of Smag podcast, uh, which is exactly, I guess, uh, what we're going to be doing here. We're going to have like a live recording uh, with some nine of fivers. So um, I'll let these guys introduce themselves and tell you guys a little bit about what they do because uh, this is super exciting. This is their weekend. So uh, we'll start with Darrell. So my name is Darrell Hardy. I am a pediatric neurologist at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, um, and I'm super excited to be here. I'm Alyssa Bloomquist, and I am a speech-language pathologist, and I work for Greenville County Schools at Stone Academy. I'm Ann Mazur. I teach at the University of Virginia, and I'm also the owner-founder of Runners Love Yoga. I'm Matt McDonald, and I am a PhD student in the fifth year of my PhD at Georgia Tech in chemical engineering. So unlike the rest of these employed people, I'm still on my way to having a full-time career. So this weekend, it's kind of like really interesting. Not only like our Olympic team spots like on the line here, there's six people that'll you know qualify for the Olympics in Tokyo, but it's kind of like a huge celebration of just like a lot of these common runners who hold full-time jobs who happen to also be you know at the same level as these elite athletes and put on the same stage. Atlanta Track Club has done a great job of treating you guys like celebrities. So what has this been like, I guess, getting off the plane and the whole weekend experience so far? It's been fantastic. Um, I feel like a superstar. Um, 
I literally landed in Atlanta yesterday morning and there was someone greeting me and walking me to the train station <laughs> and you know told me exactly how to get here and then when I got here someone walked me to the hotel um, there's like an athlete hospitality room with food snacks and everyone's been super friendly and um, yeah it's been incredible it's not like any other race <laughs> no not like any other race yeah I agree um, it's really cool to have just you know, us so well taken care of with the hotel room and being so close to start and finish, uh, having all of our meals. And it's just been, it's been really fun, different than any other race I've ever done. So it's really fun. I was really excited when I heard that Atlanta got the bid. I hadn't qualified yet, <laughs> um, but I knew the Atlanta Track Club would do a fantastic job, and they absolutely have. It's, it's been amazing so far. I was basically tearing up, picking up my packet, and, <laughs> and telling the lady, like, I'm so excited to be here, and it was, it's just been amazing. So I feel like I've had little moments like that all weekend where I've just been practically crying because I'm, I'm so happy. <laughs> Yeah, as a runner for Atlanta Track Club, it makes me very happy to hear that all my other panelists think that our organization has done a really good job putting this on so far. Um, and I have to agree, uh, everything has gone off without a hitch, and I'm shocked by how well we've been uh, treated so far. Um, I didn't have the luxury of being greeted at the airport because I just kind of drove my car here. Um, but yeah, so far, everything has been just out of this world. Uh, dinner last night at the Coca-Cola World headquarters was really cool. And um, I think tonight we're eating dinner uh, in the aquarium. So we'll, we'll see some whale sharks with our bland chicken and pasta. <laughs> um, so for you guys, like this whole, we're almost 24 hours like away from the race. Like to hear that, how long has this race been like on your calendar and just kind of in the back of your mind? When has like, I guess, chasing Olympic trials qualifier really started for you guys? Um, <clears throat> so I would say for me, it started a little bit later, um, like uh, maybe less than a year ago. Uh, so I was coming back from a hip stress fracture and, you know, being injured, I thought a lot about where I wanted to go with my running and decided I wanted to give the marathon a shot and reached out to one of my buddies to coach me. And um, our goal was to see if I could get the OTQ um, at CIM. And so that's when it started to become more of a... a goal uh and i performed well at cim and then and first marathon too right first marathon yeah that's yeah. impressive like yeah. when you when it came to goal setting <laughs> like what did, did that feel ambitious at the very beginning yes <laughs> it felt very ambitious um my coach had a lot of faith in me and thought that i could do it but you know i i had run a half marathon before and you know it's twice the distance and <laughs> so it was very overwhelming but i you know just put in the hard work and trusted my coach and trusted my ability and and it worked out melissa how about you how long has this been circled uh mine's also been pretty recent um i started training up again after I had my daughter. She's almost a year and a half old. So I had a stress fracture while I was pregnant with her. And then after she was born, I started trying to just get back into shape. And I ended up being in better shape than I was before. So a lot of my friends encouraged me, hey, you need to go out for the marathon Olympic trials. And I was a little scared because my personal best had been three or four years ago. And it was not close to 245 um, but then I ended up 
training and running Savannah back in November and qualifying there. So it's been, again, pretty recent, but also kind of a whirlwind. When you have an elite field that has people like, you know, Sarah Hall, Steph Bruce, who, you know, have shown that coming after, I guess specifically like Steph Bruce, after having kids, you know, putting together these amazing performances, like what do you, what is it like, I guess, for you to be in that same race? And like, just sort of like this mom strength is real. Oh yeah, I <laughs> I think I'm stronger. I, I I mean, it definitely makes you stronger. And pushing that stroller while you're running and training makes you stronger. And I mean, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that I've been able to get here and I hope I'm a good example to her. And as she grows up and understands a little bit more and goes on runs with me, I, I really think it's something special to be able to do. And what about you for, the, for this race? Oh, well, I've wanted to do this my entire life. Um, and it honestly wasn't really a realistic possibility until probably the end of 2017. Um, I ran the Kiowa Island Marathon in 2.52 and I won, but I was kind of by myself. Um, and I was like, ah, you know, what's another seven minutes? <laughs> so from that point, I kept kind of just chasing the time. So in Grandma's 2018, I went, um, I just kind of kept chipping time off of this thing. So I was, I was 249 and then I did CIM fall 2018. And that was kind of a weird buildup. I had only run like a 16 mile long run headed into that fall. And I'm kind of surprised I actually even did CIM that, you know, went for it. And I was 248 and I felt like I was good. I was on track through like 20 and I'm like, ah, if I just do more long runs um, than grandma's this past year, 2019, honestly, it was just like a really rough day. I'm, I'm actually just happy I got to the finish line and I was 250. And then it came down to CIM this fall. And luckily, I operate very well under pressure. <laughs> and I made it by 13 seconds. So <laughs> that was, yeah, it's just, this has been just awesome. So it's, it's been awesome. And Alyssa, you just made me feel better about having a kid and running again. So, <laughs> yeah. Can you, can you take us through that final? I know yeah. at CIM, you make that final turn. You could see the finish line. Yeah. But knowing you have less than a minute, less than oh 30 seconds gosh, to go, yeah. what was that like? Oh, it was honestly, like, I will never forget that day for the rest of my life. Like, <laughs> you can probably tell I'm, like, getting emotional just talking about it again. Um, it was unreal. Like, really, from mile 16 on, the whole race was a little bit of a blur. I, You know, I think it's – this was such a big goal of mine, and the marathon is so different than other races because you have so much more time to think. So I honestly had to kind of just shut my brain off and not think about what I was doing and just make sure I was running what I was supposed to be running. And then it got kind of real during that last mile. I passed my Aunt Melinda at mile 25, and she's like, you're going to do it, honey. And I'm thinking in my mind, like, oh, my God, I hope so. You know, like, <laughs> and then CIM is just so well organized that they have those signs, like 800 meters to go, 400 meters to go. And I'm just, like, swearing a little bit in my mind. Like, I'm, like, finally letting myself think, like, I'm going to maybe do this now. And uh, I will never forget turning the corner there. You know, they have a kind of sharp turn um, and seeing the finish line. And it's like 244 or something. And I'm good as long as I like somehow throw my body across that line and sprint. So I don't know. It's, it's unreal. It's like at that point, you're also like any, it wasn't like one of those marathons where I was like floating along and like feeling awesome the whole way. Like it was frankly like hard <laughs> um, and it, it was like any pain my body was feeling was just overridden by my mind being like this is what you're going to do today you know whether your legs are happy about it or not so yeah it was it was unbelievable
I've been at that finish line before, like yeah. for that, you know, 2.42 for like one of my best friends and just one of the best moments in that race is just seeing the crowd of women gather as the oh, clock yeah. just starts to tick away oh, and it gets gosh. closer and closer. For you to, was it as soon as you crossed the finish line, was it just into the arms of a stranger? Because it's, that's yeah. the beauty of that race. Yeah, well, <laughs> I crossed the line and then I honestly like just couldn't believe I had actually done what I had set out to do. Like actually for the next couple of days, I just kept telling my husband, Oh, it's his birthday. Happy birthday, Philip. Um, I was like, Philip, I can't believe, did I do that? Like, I think I actually did that for real. Like, you can't believe your own reality. It's insane. So I crossed the line, and then actually I, like, basically collapsed. <laughs> so I, like, took a brief break on the ground, and then people were helping me up, like, thankfully. And then I just couldn't wait to hug people. So then I was just going around hugging people like a maniac. It was just unreal. It was, it's a moment I've dreamed of. And, you know, I'd done CIM before, and I'd seen those sort of celebrations at the end there, and that was... Like, wow, if that could only happen to me, that would be just amazing. Yeah. Matt, how about you? Yeah, uh, well, I also qualified for the trials first at CIM, so that's a, a common theme up here. It's a great course, well-organized race. Um, but yeah, I moved to Atlanta in 2015 really to focus on pursuing my PhD. And at the time, I sort of believed running was in the past for me, um, you know, in undergrad, I had managed to balance school and running as almost all of us have. And uh, I didn't think I would be able to do it as a PhD student because I, you know, we all have heard or a lot of us have experienced just how difficult it is pursuing that advanced degree. Um, but one of my professors actually, he uh, was captain of the Atlanta Track Club Masters team um, in chemical engineering at Georgia Tech. And so he kind of roped me back into it and set me up with my current coaches, Amy and Andrew Begley. And for that first year here in Atlanta, I really struggled. I was still trying to do 10Ks on the track, which I now know is just not my wheelhouse. Um, and yeah, it, w it was tough, um, especially adapting to it, you know, this new lifestyle of having to not just go to class, but also do work in between class, um, research activities, things like that, um, that I was not used to. But uh, eventually, um, I moved up to the half marathon, and my first half marathon went okay, um, but my coach, they, he had a lot of faith in me, um, and before I even ran CIM for the first time in 2017, you know, he told me that I was going to be an amazing marathoner, and admittedly, I didn't believe him, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, I went to CIM, and um, as a lot of these guys have described it, it is kind of magical. And um, I had a very similar experience where I only qualified by a handful of seconds in 2017. Um, but it's kind of magical because uh, at some point, like mile 25 or so, you know you've got it. Um, you can afford to let off the pace a little bit and, and you'll get there. And it was really an incredible feeling to qualify for the trials the first time. Um, but I, I sort of had this realization that um, you know, I, I can balance work, school, research with running. Um, and that because of the flexibility of my, my PhD and the flexibility my advisors has, have given me um, as far as like working hours, like, you know, maybe I can come in at 11 o'clock and work until 8 p.m. instead of nine to five. Um, because of that, I've been able to train hard. And uh, sure enough, when I came back to CIM the next year, I knocked four minutes off my PR in my second marathon. And I 
don't know how that happened, to be honest. Uh, I guess it was just staying healthy for another year. Um, but since then, things have only gotten better. And um, I'm very fortunate to have, uh, well, I'm fortunate to have three advisors in general for my PhD. That's unusual. Um, but that all three of them understand what I'm pursuing. Um, you know, one of them, he, he told me he was a, or he was a college baseball player, and he told me one of his biggest regrets was not trying to go pro as a baseball player. And so I think he understands where I am, um, and he is supportive of that. And so, like, leading up to the trials, like right now, uh, they've given me a ton of flexibility um, to work remotely when I have to, um, to work the hours I need to work in order to make sure that I can perform as well as possible tomorrow. I th and you mentioned that balance, so kind of like we'll, we'll go in reverse order this time. Okay. What what does that day look like, and how do you manage that schedule? Because there's so many people like listening to this and uh, who are hopeful of their ability to drop their times from seeing people like you do it. So from the moment you wake up to the end of your day, how long is this day? Where do you sneak in these runs? Like, what does that look like? That's a, a great question. Uh, what does a day look like? <laughs> I there's two types of days. First of all, there's the days that I'm training really hard. And those days I'm gonna describe and you're just gonna think, wow, your life sounds miserable. But I, I have to preface it with, there are also days where we're in the off season, we're just building up mileage, where I can live more of a regular life, only one run a day and you know go out for dinner with friends after work. But in a, a hard training block, my day, um, especially here in Atlanta, because it's so hot in the summer and even the winter and whatever, <laughs> um, you, you have to wake up super early to start your run before the sun. So I'm usually up before six, out the door running at 6.15, um, you know, an hour and a half later, I'm back home doing a little foam rolling, a little bit of stretching, admittedly not as much as I probably should, um, and then, you know, a cup of coffee and breakfast, hop in the shower and get to Georgia Tech, hopefully by 9.30, um, and then, you know, I've got a, a full day of research to do. Uh, the experiments, well, sometimes they run themselves, but, um, for the most part, there's a lot to do there. Um, I will say though, being in school is a little bit different because while we don't go to class, there's not a ton of class. Um, you know, we still take like 45 minutes for lunch, and it's all people my age, and you know, just kind of hang out. But yeah, it's work all afternoon, and then I've got to get an afternoon double in. So usually at around five o'clock, rather than sit in Atlanta traffic, I'll go out for a run and watch all the other cars sitting in traffic, and I'm. Sure, they're upset with me when I run pa uh, faster than they're driving. Um, but yeah, um, I'll usually try and run an experiment also while I'm going out for my, my double. Um, and then, you know, I'm back in the lab at around 6 o'clock, finish up some things before I head home, usually around 7. And then dinner, a little more foam rolling, some Netflix, and usually in bed by 9.30 and back at it the next day. So it's not a glamorous life, but uh, that's what it takes. It's such a full day. Um, and how about you? Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, Matt, I understand a little bit because I got my PhD in English at UVA. So it's, you know, I think the important thing is figuring out kind of the routine for yourself, too. My my days are actually so different. It's, it's not really 9 to 5. Sometimes it's like 7 to 3 and then like 5 to midnight. <laughs> um, so I, I feel like I'm actually working like five more than part-time jobs right now. It's... I'm teaching at UVA. Um, it's a part-time faculty position, so I got my PhD in English, um, and then I was in the English department for a couple years, 
And now I'm actually in the kinesiology department. So I'm teaching running for fitness and yoga, which is awesome because I have my classroom still and I love teaching. I like live for my students, they're amazing. And now I get to help them with yoga and running, which are like my two favorite things ever. So it's, it's awesome. So I feel like I get a little bit of sneaky working out <laughs> while I'm actually teaching those things. So that is actually helpful. Um, I also have to kind of stack my own workouts around that because you don't really want to be working out like four different times in small little segments every day. So I don't know, let's see. So like the typical, We'll do Monday. <laughs> um, I usually, I love sleeping. I do not get enough of it. Um, <laughs> especially teaching college kids, you end up being kind of on their schedule where you're like up at like 12.30 at night sending emails. So don't do that, maybe. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I wake up usually like 7.15. Um, my husband always tells me I cut it too close. <laughs> um, but I make my breakfast really fast, eat that. Um, drive to work, I teach um, my running for fitness class first um, at 8 and then 9 a.m. I teach my yoga class. Um, every day but Monday I actually go on my own separate run right after that class. So literally I am running, doing yoga, running again um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday morning. Um, then I usually go home, um, knock out a bunch of work for Runners Love Yoga. So that's like what I do in the afternoon usually and get a lot of writing done. And then just, that's a lot of coordinating of different um, pieces. So there's a lot of random juggling and emailing that happens with, with that part of my job. Um, and then in the most evenings, I'm teaching another fitness class or several fitness classes. And then I do all my doubles in the pool. So I love swimming. I'm very unconventional. I I have definitely not run more miles than anyone here, but I probably have done more swimming than anyone in this race. Um, so I was a swimmer before I was a runner, and then I just, you know, I think it's important if you have a really busy job to find the ways that work, you know, the types of workouts that are working for you that also make you really happy. Um, and I know my body would probably be unhappy with me if I were running more than what I am. So, <laughs> but it likes swimming and it really likes yoga. So I kind of, you know, and I found that's a way to weirdly be more efficient because, you know, you can kind of stack these different workouts together and you can swim a lot longer than you can run um, every day. So that's helpful too. So, yeah. Alyssa? Um, so my day starts pretty early too. I try and be out of the house by 7 so that I can drop off at daycare and get to work at 7.30. So I rarely run before work unless it's, just a crazy busy week and I know I'm gonna have to get a morning run in, then I will run from like five to 6 a.m. Most days I run after work and if it's just a regular day, I might just push my daughter in the stroller. Um, if it's a day that I wanna get in a workout, which is once a week, I try and schedule the day I can leave right after school at three o'clock, because most days I've got meetings after school until four, 4.30, but I try and pick a day that I can leave right at three, get to the track and do some sort of workout. Um, so that I can be done at like a normal time to still pick up my daughter and spend time with my family because that's always my motivation is just to finish up and get home to my family. So I'm probably an, a lower mileage person as well just because I don't run doubles ever. Um, but I do, I do try and run, you know, six days out of the week and then have one day off, long run on weekends. I'll I'll go to our, it's, it's our urban trail in Greenville and get a nice long run in. Sometimes solo, sometimes with my, uh, I have a couple running friends that are kind of in the same life scenario as me, but um, I'd say two thirds of the time I'm usually alone, which is fine. 
kind of sometimes a, a solo long run is kind of fun to crank out and you just feel very accomplished with that but uh but yeah it's I'm definitely an early morning person at work, but try and get my running done in the evenings because that's kind of just what works for my schedule and works for me. You guys are guilting me into becoming more of a morning person. <laughs> uh, so my schedule's a little different. Um, I don't really have the flexibility that some people have. Uh, taking care of patients, you know, they're always going to be patients there that need to be taken care of. So for me, a typical day would be starting around 4 a.m., so I wow. set my alarm clock at 4 a.m. every morning. Um, that allows me to get up, and then I'm usually out and running by 4.30 um, so that I can get to work by 7. Um, and so that'll include, like, stretching after and all of that. So my day starts really early. Um, and then typically I'm at work taking care of patients all day, um, which is great. I love it. Um, but it's very busy. Uh, usually I'm done around 5.36 p.m. Um, on a non-call day, and then I come home and do a double that day. If I'm on call, which I'm on call usually every fourth night, that means I work a 30-hour shift. So I'll start work at 7 a.m. So once again, I'll wake up at 4 a.m., get my run in, go to work at 7 a.m., and then I work that whole day, that entire night, the next morning, and then I finish at noon the next day at which time I usually go home and run and then sleep. Wait, how, do you, how do you do that? How do you run after not sleeping for that long? It's, it's hard, um, but my body's gotten used to it after five years of doing this. <laughs> um, so yeah, it can be challenging, but I, I know that if I don't run right after I finish that 30 hour shift, I won't run <laughs> for that day. So um, I typically run as soon as I get done around noon um, and then take a little bit of a nap, eat dinner, go to bed at eight, and then I wake up because I have work the next day, same thing at seven, and I still get up at 4 a.m. that day to do the next run. So it can be pretty crazy, um, but you know, people always ask, like, how do you fit it in? Like, why are you even doing this? But I feel like you can always make time for things that you love, and I love running, and so I make time for it. So for all of you, I mean, and Darrell, I guess, when did that love for running really start? Yeah, so the love for running for me started when I was probably in middle school. Um, I started as a sprinter, and I did me summer too. track. Nice. <laughs> um, my dad was a runner. My dad's actually in the audience over there. Um, he, uh, yeah, <laughs> um, he was a cross country runner, but he did not want me to do cross country. He's like, if you do cross country, you're going to be slow. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's like, stick with sprinting. That's what you need to do. And so I did the 100 and the 200 and had some success then. And, um, uh, you know, I, it was a nice bond between me and my dad. And so I kind of like fostered that love of running at that time. Alyssa? Um, so mine started out kind of as a love-hate relationship, maybe more of a hate relationship. Um, I started running my freshman year of high school only because my parents made me join the team. Um, I was really, really bitter about it. Um, my brother had joined the year before. He's a year older than me. And they were like, oh, well, he really likes it. You need to do it too, and we're going to make your sister join. It's just going to be really easy on us because you're going to all be in the same place, and we're going to go to the same competitions. And, you know, I was just kind of like, well, I don't want to. <laughs> so I remember the first day of practice, it was like pouring rain, and I was doing all I could do just to keep the, like, second to last person within view so I didn't get lost out on our run 
And I came home and I just started yelling at my parents and I was like, this is the worst. I hate this. And they were like, okay, fine. Well, you can quit. It's, it's okay. And I was like, no, I can't because I've started. I can't quit now. <laughs> so I kept with it and I quickly got into shape and, you know, built my way up and made it into our varsity team that year and things got a lot better. And I learned that, hey, I'm good at this. I actually do like this. It's a lot more fun when you can actually finish a run without walking. Um, and then from there, you know, I just kept running all through high school and college and it's just stuck with me and become part of my life. It's, um, I know someone mentioned that it's kind of like my body craves it now. If I, you know, if I go without running, it's, it doesn't feel good. So I've just gotten to that point where it's just, I guess part of my identity. So now, now it's a love relationship. <laughs> and it got to, it, it got you to the 12 trials, right? Like on the track. Yes. So that was my senior year of Clemson. I, I, um, qualified in the 3000 steeple and ran at the 2012 twi trials. It was out at, um, in Eugene, Oregon. And so that was a very different experience than this, but also really, really cool. And I loved the steeple. Um, but then as soon as I graduated from Clemson, I, I started transitioning over to marathon and I did my first marathon, uh, when I was in grad school. So I missed the steeple, but I, during, in the lifestyle I have now, I don't necessarily think training for that would be, I don't think it would work out like it does for the marathon, but right. yeah, I do have a little background in it, I guess. Yeah. That's exciting. Anne, how about you? Oh, wow. <laughs> um, I am the oldest of four kids, and my parents didn't know what to do with me when I was growing up because I was not athletic in any way, shape, or form. My dad is right there. <laughs> he would throw, he was a baseball player at Harvard, and he would like, I have very vivid memories of him like trying to throw like footballs at me and be like, open your eyes, Anne Margaret, when you catch the ball, you know? <laughs> and it was pretty clear from like very early on, like ball sports, hand-eye coordination, not my thing. Um, so I always wanted to be a runner and I was very small for my um, grade. I was actually a year young for my grade. So in grade school, my dream was to win a ribbon in the 100 meter dash on field today. And I have like journals from when I was like seven where I'm like writing like, it, we, I went to Catholic school, so our journals were to Jesus. So I'd be like, dear Jesus, please help me to run fast. So I win a ribbon on field day. So this was like, a, I just was like, wow, like runners are so amazing. I want to be a runner. And it didn't really, um, I don't know. I was a late bloomer. I, I started swimming when I was 11 and I loved swimming. That was the first sport I ever really loved. So I never stopped that. And it turns out I'm good at endurance sports. <laughs> um, so in eighth grade, I won the mile and no one in my class could believe it because up to this point, I'd been picked last in gym class. And I remember like one of the popular girls was like, you guys let Ann beat you? Like, what's going on? And <laughs> then finally in high school, high school was like a brand new world, thank goodness. And um, I remember we would run these laps, like warm-up laps around the school, and then the whole rest of the school would see you. And suddenly I went from like being the one who is always picked last in gym class to like, look at Ann, she's our star runner. She's beating all of the boys right now. And so that was really fun for me. Like when I finally got to high school and I was like, yes, I'm good at a sport. <laughs> um, and I just loved it from 
then on. So I went on. I ran for Notre Dame. I was a walk-on. That's hard, um, but uh, survived, <laughs> and that was that was an awesome experience. And then you know, I think running it really is, it becomes part of your identity. Like I always felt bad for the college lacrosse players. I'm like, what do they do after they're done? Like I can't stop running now. You know. So um, I just, I actually, I probably chose UVA in part for my PhD, not just because they're so good at 19th century British literature, which was my specialty, but because I could see myself running there. And uh, I, I didn't tell that to them. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just kept running. It just had to be what I do. So yeah. So you mentioned running at, at Notre Dame. Teammates with Molly Huddle? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So. so that must be crazy for you to just see that sort of evolution of, of her career. Oh, that's yeah. been amazing. Molly, if you, she's honestly like the nicest, most humble person you could ever meet. It's, she really is like that. She's awesome. I um, even got to share a room with her at a couple of our uh, meets in college. And she's like a superhuman. Like I would, we would run the 5K at Big East or something. And Molly would be like doing the 5K, 10K double. And she would get like six hours of sleep a night, wake up, be just like quietly studying biology in the room. And I'd be like needing my 10 hours of sleep. <laughs> like Molly, how are you doing this? So yeah, she's awesome. Molly's amazing. I love her. Matt, how about you? Where does this running journey begin for you? Yeah, I think... Uh Similar to what other people have said, it started like in, in gym class as like a little kid. Um, I remember in fourth grade running 721 in the gym class mile. I don't even know if it was a real mile, right? The gym teacher just kind of wheeled something out around the campus. And I'm pretty sure that I, I know the gym teacher told me and my friend Alex that we tied for first, but I, I'm pretty sure Alex beat me. Um, but I never, I never told him that. Um, and yeah, so running like fast in gym class as a fourth grader as a 10 year old led me to run like a 5k that spring also as a 10 year old and I ran like 23 and a half minutes for a, a 5k which uh looking back at it I was like wow that was that was fast but you know I didn't come close to winning or anything and I think the my competitive spirit just kind of forced me to keep at it because at a very young age I realized it was something I was pretty good at um and so yeah I, I was lucky enough that my middle school had um a, a cross-country program and so I ran middle school cross-country which is like a one and a half mile race to two mile race um, and I, I thrived there and then got to high school and you know the 5k was so long at the time and it it felt like uh, you know this is more my wheelhouse where the the long distance stuff is going to be a lot of fun um, and so a lot of like high school 5ks went well and uh, I had way more success in high school than I possibly could have imagined um but i sort of thought like at the end of high school well like you know i'll use this to go to a good college and i got accepted to princeton and it's like oh well you know now i'm in i kind of don't have to do it but i think like everyone else up here has said it becomes part of your identity um and even after just like missing runs for like a couple days your body craves to get back to it because it's, it's part of who you are so um you know Immediately when I got to, to college, I remember my first run in college actually was with a teammate of mine, Connor, who's sitting right over there. Um, yeah, we, uh, I immediately just like re-fell in love with the sport, kind of, um, and the team was such a, a great group of guys. Like, I obviously couldn't turn that down, and I didn't have as much success in college as I would have liked, but um, I did win the Ivy League 10K my senior year, so eventually it, it came around, and 
Um, as I alluded to earlier, I kind of thought that would be it for me, and then I'd move to Atlanta and get on with my non-running career. Um, but you miss it, and um, you really, uh, you it's part of who you are. And so I found myself drawn to it once again, and now I'm sitting up here in front of all of you. <laughs> where does last year's Chicago Marathon, where I guess you ran 211, but it's not even like 211 high, it's 211.10, so right on the yeah. cusp of like being in that, I guess, like, if you look at the whole field, you're up there in terms of all the times. Where does that moment rank for you in terms of just like of all these races? You have an Ivy League title, and I feel like a lot of Ivy Leaguers have some a lot of Heps pride, and that's a big track. For sure, game. absolutely. Uh, so where does that rank? Uh, Chicago was magical. That's <laughs> that's all I can really say. Um, I didn't really believe in myself the night before. My coach told me I was going to run 211. He said straight up, you will run 211 tomorrow. And I didn't believe him for a second, which was a huge mistake on my part. And finally, like 10 minutes before going to the starting line the morning of, uh, my coach, Amy Begley, like shook me literally and said, Matt, believe in yourself the way we believe in you. Like, this is ridiculous. You're in such good shape. And that resonated with me during the race. Um, and yeah, uh, I, I just had a really outstanding performance. It was a lot of fun. Um, I remember at like mile 21-ish, there was like a move made and I realized I had nothing to lose. Might as well go with the guys that made that move. Um, and then my finish was not as strong as I would have liked. Unfortunately, 211.10 is, 211.09, you can say you ran sub five minute pace for a marathon. 211.10, you ran 5.0001 seconds oh, for wow. a marathon. So that's tough because, you know, I'm an engineer, so numbers mean a lot to me. Um, but, yeah, uh, my finish I was not super happy with, but it was because during the race I looked at my watch with, like, two miles to go, and I'm like, holy, like, I did it. Like, this is <laughs> fast. This is something else. Um, and so, you know, uh I didn't finish as hard because I, in my mind, it was already done, right? I was done with 24 miles into the race. But hopefully tomorrow, um, you know, time doesn't mean anything. It's all about place. Um, and so it'll be a race till the end. So I guess before we maybe take a question or two from, from the audience, what is your biggest hope for, for tomorrow? Like, what do you guys really want to accomplish and, like, celebrate to really soak in the moment? We'll start, I guess we'll start, Matt. Sure. Um yeah, it's always weird. I, I think a lot of runners have this sort of apathy about saying their goals out loud. Um, but to be honest, my, my goal is to be a contender. Um, with four to five miles to go, I want to be there with the guys that are going to represent Team USA in Tokyo. Um, and, you know, if I finish really well and by some miracle something awesome happens, that's amazing. But if I fade really hard, at least I can say I put myself in it. Um, and I, I don't want to have a race where with five miles to go, I'm, you know, way back in the pack and I never really put myself out there. I, I just want to have a race where I repeat my mental strength from CIM, I guess would be the best way to describe it. So I know it's hilly out there, but luckily I'm a native Pittsburgher <laughs> and I train in Charlottesville. So that's. It's actually very similar kinds of hills, too. So I'm, my fingers are crossed that that bodes well. <laughs> um, I mean, of course, ideally, I'd like to PR, but I just, I just want to have the kind of race that I had at CIM. And if I do that, I'll be totally happy. And I want my finisher's medal. I want that medal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, my goal is, yeah, just basically to prove that 
I'm worthy of being here. Um, I qualified with a 241, so I mean, you know, there's going to be a women out there tomorrow that have run 220s, and I know that it's unrealistic for me to think that I'm ever going to be their caliber, but I do want to be able to compete with the rest of the field and, and show that, yeah, I earned this. I, I should be here too. I hit the time. I'm going to have a solid race. I definitely have never run with the pack before. I qualified by myself. I think second place was like 17 minutes behind me. So I'm really excited to be able to run with a bunch of women that are really, really fast and not just run by myself. So I'm really excited in that sense. But yeah, I think I'm kind of like, Anne. I want to, I want to run well. I want to prove that I can do this and, and stay with everybody and be right there in, in the rest of the field. Well, I think just by qualifying, you definitely have proved that you belong. <laughs> and I think um, Jay Holder, who was a guest like on, on my podcast before, he said uh, that it's this this type of field is incredible because the you know the 241 or 242 marathoner of today could be tomorrow's 224. So yeah, you could be on your way. <laughs> I mean, never say never. So <laughs> yeah, I echo what uh, the other panelists said, um, but I just want to say I feel so lucky and blessed and thankful that I'm even here. Um, I, I, I can't even describe the feeling of just being able to compete uh, tomorrow. I feel like I'm living both of my dreams of being a doctor and being able to compete at such a high level. So I am going to be happy no matter what happens tomorrow. And I'm, I'm super excited to toe the line with some of my running idols like Bernard Lagat and, you know, all these big names that like I watched on TV as a little kid. So um, I'm super excited to get out there and just run the best that I can. And I know that if I do that, I'll, I'll be happy. So, yeah. So I think we're, we're, we've got a mic here. We'll take one or two questions before we might run out of time here. If anyone has any question, yeah. If you just can go up to the mic real quick. So what mantra are y'all going to use tomorrow to get you through it? That's hard to predict. I feel like it just sometimes comes to you. It. I don't know if, if you've heard me in any of the other podcasts after CIM. My my <laughs> mantra was just like swimming, because I I have confidence in swim practice that I can hit the same interval over and over again. And then one of the pacers, Chris at CIM, who also shout out to the CIM pacers. Those those three guys are like the men. Um, one of Chris was a swimmer and I just felt like it was like an omen. It was just like meant to be. I'm like, Anne, you're gonna do this today. If you just stick with Chris, he's a swimmer too. It's like you have a little teammate here. And I just was behind Chris just thinking just like swimming over I don't know, maybe we'll use that again. <laughs> it seemed like it worked pretty well, so I don't know. Um yeah, I I think I'm just gonna be telling myself like, you belong here. Um I have looked at the field around me and all the women that I'm going to be competing against. And I have to remind myself, you're one of them too. Um, don't give up. Don't get intimidated by them. Cause that's my biggest thing is getting intimidated. And I want to remind myself that you can do this too. I guess for me, something that my mom always tells me before every race, um, that I always have in my head is do your best and God will do the rest. And so that's what I always think about when I'm racing. Yeah, I've got nothing to lose, right? Just go for it. Nothing to lose. That's awesome. Uh, so we might be out of time. Uh, 
But actually, each one of these runners up here has an awesome story on Runner's World. So if you check out their names, like it'll come up, and you can read so much more about them. But uh, I'll definitely be out there wishing, uh, cheering and, and wishing you guys all the best of luck. So let's give it up for these 9 of 5ers. Thanks. All right, now time for some results. First off, on the women's side, Alyssa ran 245.20 for 129th place. Anne ran 251.53 for 260th place. And on the men's side, Darrell ran 226.41 for 119th place. And among the biggest surprises of the entire trials was Matt McDonald's 212.19 for 10th place. He was in the top four at about mile 20. I remember watching the race from the... Uh, from the media room and thinking, oh my God, he might pull this thing off. So when he heard him express his goal of giving himself a shot, he did just that. That does it for this episode of the show. If you enjoyed what you heard on the podcast, give me a shout out on your Instagram story or leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Just let me know if you want me to keep bringing you these stories to distract you a little bit from what's going on in the world. I hope everyone's washing those hands, practicing social distancing, and staying safe. I've been your host, Chris Chavez, wishing you some happy and healthy running.